0: Hey, let's talk about Breaking the Cycles.
1: Welcome to Breaking the Cycle with Lazina and Tasia. I'm your host Lazina and I'm here with my daughter Tasia. Hello. And my brother Arfan. Hey. We're glad that you can join us as we're talking about our journey of rediscovering ourselves and uh, uh, after experiencing sexual and emotional trauma. We want to bring awareness of the effects of this trauma through the eyes of the victims, survivors, and their families. Today, we're going to cover a little bit on red flags.
2: Yes. So we're actually going to break it down into three parts because there's many red flags to look at, but we want to just keep it a little bit concise for today's episode. So we're going to break it down into three parts, which is going to be the topics of grooming, emotional incest, and narcissism. So I'm gonna put it back over to Lazina to continue what we're gonna break down. Uh,
1: so the grooming aspect of it is um, when a, an abuser, and in this in this instance, a parent, uh, build build a, a a bonding, a kind of a trust with the, with a child. Uh, over it could be weeks months or years and it's basically uh grooming them to become who they want them to be and most of that time that relationship becomes sexual
2: okay hang on back up for a sec because often that's actually something that we want we want to have a bonding relationship that's built on trust
1: right with a it
2: becomes with a parent right so it goes it goes a little bit above that so to see can you kind of break down a little bit more for us on so what like what that really is how it starts how it progresses how it transitions and yeah
0: so in in this in this aspect um my abuser decided to use my mom against me and mm-hmm. that meaning that as i grew up with my mom, my mom, you mean you were a disciplinarian. Yeah. Disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. my bad. Meaning you focused on really strict parenting in that case and and any strict parenting that causes fear in any child. Mm-hmm. So he would use that against me and just be like, oh, if you do this, I'm gonna go tell your mom. Or if you um, eat this, uh, you, you know how your mom's gonna react. So it's just kind of going back and using how aggressive you would be. And, how strict you were basically against me to get him on his side. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, after just constantly saying, you know, basically pulling me to his side, it became where him and I became close and my mom and I became more distant.
2: mm mm-hmm. So how did that actually build trust? Because that's something that's kind of like, going, you're just using my fears well, then, against me. So how did that lead to building to trust?
0: Um, it, because I would be away from you, I would kind of not go to you about anything. And in his kind of words and how he was talking to me and his conversations with me, it was, you can tell me anything and I'll always forgive you. Mm -hmm. or I'm never gonna hit you I'm never gonna do anything to you it was always having conversations and it was no fear in those conversations well in the beginning of course so Mm a safe space was created yeah
1: and in a normal situation as a parent you want to have a safe space with your child uh, but that's something that should be done naturally not um, as a result of the other parent yeah Mm -hmm.
2: okay so when did things turn like Like it sounds like at the beginning that was good. Like, hey, this is actually, yeah, because I mean, of course,
0: you know, if you're afraid of one parent, you want to have the backbone, you want to have a support system with another parent in that way,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. where you could
0: go to someone about what's going on. But it became more of, I cannot go to you at all for Mm -hmm. anything, Mm -hmm. maybe around the age of. uh like 10 or 11 ish because that was when him and i were so really close um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i remember there were
1: times when i kind of also i was it was presented to me that i was the favorite parent and there was some jealousy there he was very jealous that i you know to see and i were so close so uh he wanted to uh wanted me to give him a chance to really be truly be her father.
0: So I mm-hmm. was the one
1: who suggested that they go on daddy-daughter dates. Um and you know, I mean
0: you kind of were like, hey, go go do these things, go out, take her to lunch, yeah. uh, play video games with her, do these right. things.
1: To I bond. gave
0: I gave suggestions on how to bond. For- and and his way he would come back and tell me, "Well, your mom doesn't like doing this. Well, do you want to do this with me?" Right. So it became that, well, I can't go to mom until tell them, hey, do you want to play a video game with me? Or, hey, do you want to listen to music with me? Because that, it was already in my mind that you didn't want yeah. to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I and that was part of the reason why
1: I stepped back from video games because, Arfan, you know that I love video games. That's one of my favorite things to do. So I stepped back from playing video games because I wanted to give you guys a chance to bond without me. I, I felt secure in our bond, so... I allowed that bond to be uh, present because I felt that it was something that was natural and I thought at the time it was beneficial for you. But then mm-hmm. I, I also remember you telling me that now, um, back when you were younger, he used to make you read his um, read your diaries.
0: Yeah, it came to a point where um, I was getting bullied in school and stuff like that and mm. I was just... You know, always upset, always sad because I didn't, I really couldn't make friends in school because I was always bullied. Mm. And his way of helping me was he would get me a journal and he would tell me, you're going to sit down, and you're going to write all your feelings out and it's going to help you. And he, this is when he introduced the the term coping with, with me. It was, this is how you're going to cope with feeling upset. You're going to mm-hmm. write about everything that makes you angry. And, you know, he'd go in and explain how to journal. Mm-hmm. But the difference is when you're journaling, on, and actual journey, journaling is when you're on your own and you're writing. You don't, you're you not judged for what you're writing. Mm-hmm. But his way was sitting down with me in the same room as I'm writing, and he would ask me, what are you writing? And I'd have to show him what I'm writing. And then it had to be a reflection of, okay, well, this is how you shouldn't be feeling. You should take this and channel it into something different.
2: Gotcha. It would gotcha. just
0: hours. just
2: So it took, it took what would be a normally healthy, healthy habit of journaling and getting that emotional release and something that was like, it just changed the whole dynamic of what <laughs> journaling is supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Now, prior, prior to us talking on here, you also mentioned that this started leading into other things too, as well. Um, and in, in terms of having like some other fears, um, beyond just what was happening to you.
0: Yeah, um, that was more of like my brother and my sister where I, I grew up where, you know, there's certain controls and there were certain things that just didn't seem normal. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, and if I think, I thought of, you know, my brother and my sister as a weird way, but as if they were my kids of the future type of thing, what I want them to feel like they should be afraid of me or afraid of someone else. And then my protective side came out and was like, no, I would mess, I would basically fight anyone who made them feel that way. I'd I'd go into full protective mode. And then I thought of it from like, if it was one of my best friends and they were telling me this is all stuff that's going on with their parent, I would, I would be upset about it. So Mm -hmm. it became more of a fear of, it became more of a fear of how to protect them. And then, what I mean by uh, what was going on with me, or what was going on with my friends, and that example I gave, I didn't have control over anything I could do, really. Mm-hmm. I, you know, aside from my journals having to needing to be read out loud, I didn't have control over my phone.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: couldn't go on social media. I couldn't have any male or female friends like that without listing, hey what does this person bring into your life um and every conversation any argument that we had in the house I had to have side conversations about it so everything led up to how to make my abuser more comfortable with what I'm doing Mm -hmm.
1: um I I know for
0: my part
1: as well I mean what I've now, looking back, part of the grooming was controlling who you spoke to as far as family-wise.
0: Yeah, at at times I couldn't speak to many of my aunts or my uncles. I couldn't tell them, you know, there's the whole inner family drama that you can't tell to other family members. I know mm-hmm. even you, Uncle Arfon, I couldn't speak to you for a little bit about anything that was going on in the house. That mm-hmm. was just, it was... He didn't want that at all he didn't want me talking to anyone about anything
2: yeah just exerting that control so I get that that would cause a lot of fear a lot of concerns a lot of obligations and um that fear for the siblings too as well that's definitely that's definitely big um I want to get into a little bit towards the end some ways we can be able to pinpoint what grooming looks like because it sounds like it starts off as something that's really healthy but then you mentioned transitions. Can you talk a little bit about the transitioning piece? When You you mentioned a little bit about, hey, it was starting to become unhealthy in terms of those control aspects, but when it started going from just bonding in a positive way to just transitioning more into like really negative.
0: negative into the,
2: into, the abuse, into the abuse.
0: So after the whole journaling experience, I still was getting in trouble at the house for little things that I was doing. And even with me getting in trouble, any kid, if they get in trouble, they get afraid immediately. What's going to be my punishment or what What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. But for my abuser side, it was really, really long discussions over what I did wrong. And with this way, it included the really long discussions would be you know, what I did wrong, why did I do that, what can I do to solve it, but then it'd also be if your mom finds out, well, you know, you know what she's going to do to you, or, you know, I'm going to, if you do this again, I'm going to tell your, I'm going to tell your mom that you did this before, so it'd have to be, after that kept happening over and over again, I think it, it happened really early, I, I felt uncomfortable having these long talks, and it's hours that you're sitting there talking. And I didn't like it in a way. It was just long and dreadful of constant threats and then talking about, you know, it could be something as little as me taking a bag of chips. I'd have to sit there for hours of why this means that I can't be trustworthy as an adult. And I'd be like 11 years old having these conversations. So... Us with these long conversations and afterward I'd have to go and like be all buddy buddy with him to make sure that I couldn't have to, I wouldn't have to be forced to be in these conversations for even longer It's a lot. It's it's. I know it is it, go, it it's so. It's a touchy subject, but mm-hmm. it goes into so much more. And there's so many examples I could literally use, mm-hmm. but I don't want to go into those examples. I mean, mm-hmm.
1: Overall, though, it's basically like you know, grooming is done by someone that the family trusts or you trust, and you build a relationship with this person over time. You end up becoming their best friend, so you're no longer you're um, the child. So. They're basically setting you up to rely on them for everything. Yeah, and as a parent, you like you said earlier, often you want to have that trust and you want to have that relationship. But where where does the line blur? Um, Was it something that could have been noticed at the time, or was or now looking back on it, as like, oh, that shouldn't have happened? I've had plenty of fathers that i talk to who does daddy daughter dates or go to father daughter uh con- um dances and mm-hmm. uh play video games together or most dads have a better bond with their daughters uh so it just seems everything in as, as far as grooming is concerned the in a parental as, uh, aspect does seem very natural if it's um If it's something with an outside family member, then okay, that's a big red flag, right? You're like, okay, you're a little too close to this person or that person. That's not a parental figure. You don't expect the father or a mother, in some cases, to be um, to be the abuser, and that's where Mm -hmm. the red
0: flags is. It's not so, it's not waving, right?
2: Mm -hmm. The way
0: that I also think would kind of help people is. If you're a parent, don't refer to your child as your best friend. Right. They're your child. You're still teaching them. You're still trying to raise them. The minute you put them as that best friend status and you go to them about your issues and you go to them about speaking to adult things and threatening them with the other parent and all of these different things where you instill fear, it, makes them, it forces them to have to think more maturely in that aspect it, it matures them a lot faster and how do I avoid getting in trouble how do I avoid these conversations um if I, it, it forces them to pinpoint oh well mom and dad are having an argument well this we all know what this means and it's going into that argument and trying to settle it mm-hmm. before having to have that other conversation
2: yeah I think this is a pretty good point of transition to our next our next um, key red flag, which is more on emotional incest, and that could be a pretty heavy word for a lot of people. So I want to see if, Lizina uh, if you can kind of define what that actually means, because it is a terminology that is used. So if you could define that for us. So, uh, so
1: emotional incest is based is a type of abuse in which the parent looked to their child for emotional support w- that would normally be provided by another adult. Um, and it happens. Um, it happens. It, it happens so so often, and I, e, you don't even realize it. So we, as a parent, we rely too much on our children to carry our emotions. So one of the examples I can give is a a mom had a a breakup, right? And she's crying and she's sad, and she looked to her child, and she was like, "Come and give mommy a hug. You know that your your hug helps mommy feels better." So right away, she's putting her emotional burden on her child. So now that child is going to constantly know that that's what they have to do to make their mom feel better. And those lines can get very blurry as we've, um, we've experienced. So it's never okay to, as adults, you should have adult friends. And your children shouldn't be be having to carry that and be that support for you.
2: Okay, I understand where that's where that's coming from. A lot of people do experience that where they do want to give their kid a hug because it does make them feel better. But it's being able to also communicate in a way where it's not brushing off that, basically causing that emotional support.
1: Right. One of the things, um, when I started counseling, uh, as my the second time around after this happened, um, my and I was very sad, and my counselor. And I was telling my counselor how much one of my youngest daughter, she has this person, vibrant personality, always cheers me up. And sometimes I'll, you know, go give her a hug. And she cautioned me immediately. She said, make sure that if I'm going to get a hug from her, say, I would like to hug you. I had to reframe my wording, word choice, so that I don't make her dependent on, uh, on my emotions, right? So don't say... something like oh come here you know the same thing give me a hug help me feel better it's more like hey can I hug you and she has a right to say no and those are things that not you wouldn't I didn't even think about right it's it's not even a thought especially when we get into our emotion and we're going to a pain we don't think about how these little things have effects on our kids
2: yeah absolutely absolutely just we kind of do it and especially i mean if if you're if you're someone who like if you're listening you may be the person who have no ill intentions Mm -hmm. but then other people do and it's something to look for to kind of see like hey what words are being said Mm -hmm. and then is it is it looking for emotional support especially if you suspect already that there are some issues that potentially might be going on because this is a long-term thing it's not just happened over a weekend it happened over no this takes this
0: takes years for it to build and that's why it's such a big thing when it when it comes on uh when it comes up and it when a child finally admits like hey this is what's this is what's happened to me it's not something like you could see over a week or oh hey you know i developed this connection with someone no this this is like an actual relationship in a way that was forced onto the child or well in my perspective I keep speaking from a third person point of view but it it happened to me it wasn't something where I could say yeah I know exactly when this happened it's so many little events that lead up to this big thing at what point did you think that you were becoming
1: more of an emotional support
0: I always I think it was I always knew I was that emotional support after so much time of bonding and so much time of him just telling me all of his problems. Um, it became a big thing and then it, it escalated even more after I started working mm-hmm. and I found out that, you know, you guys were going through some financial issues and he couldn't. That, that I didn't know about. Yeah, I... I <laughs> He told me that you brought it up to him and there was always an argument with finances. And then I, you know, of course, I already found out about the, the cheating and the affair and all of that and how you guys were still having issues. And even I kept saying, get a divorce. You would bring up, well, I can't do the finances right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it would be put on me if he wasn't feeling that emotionally well that day, I had to you know, take care of the twins, for example. I had to make sure that they were happy and they were okay so they didn't find out what was going on. And then if he was upset, it was, again, with the whole hugging scenario, I had to hug him for however long that he needed me to hug him for.
1: So you became became basically his partner in a way. Um, I don't know if you're comfortable speaking about this, but there were things... uh, there were things that were expressed to you
0: that made it seem like you guy you were the love of his life and yeah you know, I mean he, he kept referring to me as if like this was and the one phrase that kind of still baffles me to this day is if this was in another life or in another world this would be okay. And it was it's not okay this is and that's again another pull on emotions to make sure that I wouldn't say anything or to make sure that I was still on his side to make sure he was okay and it was another justification for himself by putting that on me um and it's (laughs) I guess I am a little bit angry right now because Mm -hmm. just think just thinking of the different things that he would tell me or the different ways that he would be like oh I you know, I love you. And it would be more than a father telling a daughter, I love you. And I could see, I could feel it. Mm -hmm. And even when hugging, it just became awkward. Mm -hmm. It, I was paranoid all the time from hugging. Mm
2: -hmm. That could definitely be a big, big thing. So let me ask you, what would be like some, because you expressed that you really couldn't tell anybody about this. No.
0: You were
2: Mm -hmm. in that situation where there was a big, there was a heavy, guarded on you a fear of anxiety probably even to if you were to say something so what someone else on the outside what would be something that they could potentially do to maybe break that wall down to be able to come in to be able to offer some kind of support or i don't even know more than that correctly but what would what, what could potentially someone have done in that situation to put a hand out or something to even offer some kind of saving grace
0: A really, int- that's. A, I mean, it's a it's a good question, but it's also interesting because it depends on the situation. Like for me, you didn't even know what was going on; no one knew.
1: And I know, um, Arfan, you and uh, you and some other people have tried reaching out to see you during that time too, to kind of speak. And
0: uh he had so much control. Over... Every conversation that I had, I was on the phone with Uncle Arfan a lot, and I you know, I I couldn't say anything because he'd be standing right there. Mm -hmm. There would be no way of me saying anything. And of course, my stepfather, he would be like, well, make sure you talk about your past with your mom and how much that hurt you. Yeah. And that was just growing, that was just the strict parenting side of growing up. So I think as far as, I think it would be like, if you were to physically come down and talk to me and, like, we sat down, I think that we probably and would have had one-on-one conversations about, like, what we were so against each other for. Or, like, let's say, like, I think it was, like, the problems that we had. And he would go back and tell you what the problem was. And then he'd come back and tell me what your problem was. I think if we had, you and I had sat down, you would have realized what was going on in that aspect if it was just you and I
1: and that goes to that goes to catching a red flag yeah so in uh instead of participating in the triangulation I could have made sure that I had more open communication with you um <clears throat> uh I I sometimes wonder if it would have prevented it from going as far as it did uh I just still don't even understand how it got there but um from some of the stories that you've told me about how he portrayed the the love interest uh, to make you believe that I think at one point you said that he told you that he only married me to protect you and you're the girl that was
0: that was a a very big story too Mm -hmm. um he would tell me that how when he was younger he'd have these dreams about that he would have a little girl and that I was supposed to be that little girl and then it would be, it would alter the, those dreams would alter, and it would be well. He needed to protect me. Then when you guys got married, the only reason why you got married was because he saw how strict you were,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he had to save me from that. So his whole love thing was supposed to be about save saving. It wasn't love. It was protecting. If in that case. So mm. one thing- his dream about walking in the city. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> it was, <laughs>
0: yours was walking in the city. Mine was walking on a beach. I, I don't, I don't, he, oh, Jesus.
2: All right, well, we'll not get into that part really right now because that might be a little, I don't know. But anyway, so is that, is that behavior, so that's the external behavior from somebody else, right? And we, and we define that as narcissism. Um, so can you explain a little more about like what that behavior is when someone is, controlling like that where they have to be standing by you for when you're making a phone call <laughs> telling you what to say, um, can define that the traits to look for in like a narcissistic personality.
1: That, that is a big one. Um, because sometimes you don't even realize you're in a narcissistic abusive relationship until you come out of it. Um, one of the, one of the biggest things about narcissists, a narcissist is their self-inflated ego, making sure that everything is about them and how, and how they get to make sure everything is about them. They do it through the manipulation, in our case, triangulation, definitely blame. Um, and basically everything they can do to make sure that they're seen as a hero or the good guy with with making sure that someone else takes the fall for it, they will do. and um, I know I've experienced, looking back now i I definitely experienced some of it, but to see it got most of it.
2: okay, so like what what are some things that we could look for like that potentially in like in those behaviors, like how does it affect the marriage?
1: Um, as far as a marriage. Uh, I, I was the, the behavior that I can tell you is I did, I could, I didn't have any identity. I didn't have myself. I had to become what he wanted me to be. Everything that I ever did was wrong. Every friendship I ever had. Anytime I look at, um, I may have like, you know, nitpick on someone's personality, but overall I'll still keep them in my life and find, you know, what are the, people have good qualities and I I'd focus on that but I was very wrong for even looking at somebody who made this play a quality that he didn't like or he deemed unfit um which is why I stayed away from most of my family members because they weren't up to par with who he who he wanted me to be around it was very difficult for me to have friends because they didn't align with him or and if I and of course I'm a little bit of a rebel so I still want to keep my friendship, but because of doing that, it became more that I didn't appreciate him. Um, I had to give up on my best friend because he wanted to be my best friend. I couldn't have um, a separate... Con- like I couldn't go out with my best friend and then come back and not having to tell every single conversation we had or what we talked about or any kind, any, everything had to be disclosed. So for me, feeling that pressure of not being able to be myself is definitely, uh, um, well, noticeable um, because you lose your sense of who you are. Um, I, oh my gosh, I can't, I can go into so many different things. (laughs) Um, But I think to kind of just give an overall view for me is not being able to be myself or show my identity or, you know, my personality shine in my personality. I had to become who was beneficial to him
2: gotcha. and, so, and
1: take no. blame a lot, a lot of blame. I'm talking about six hours conversation every single night about how I was wrong. What I did was wrong, how I'm not going to be wrong again, but if, but I'm still going to be wrong forever.
0: Yep i mean that's kind of the exact very very similar to what i i went through i would i would say and i'm i'm laughing not at not at you yeah. um, i'm laughing cuz there's so many similarities of what happened with you and then what happened with me that it it was just it's strange how we didn't we didn't know we don't know until like after we got out of it and that's how a lot of toxic toxic relationships are mm-hmm. so definitely you know if anyone feels like that in any of your relationships then you know that yeah major... if you're in a
1: if you're in a situation where you can't be yourself and you're getting so so much criticism from the other person then it's definitely something to take a look at um, it doesn't and getting out of it is takes a lot of courage and strength to get out of it because there's a lot of push and pull there's a lot of like well if you didn't behave this way, then I wouldn't have behaved that way, and so you know it forces you to to take ownership of everything and try to work it. And there's there goes a the manipulation um, part of it, you know. So yeah. and especially one of the things for me is um, I wasn't like we've already disclosed the best parent uh, or. I'm always a work in progress, but every single criticism I received from him, I turned it around and I worked on it to make sure that I was doing better, but now I'm doing it for myself. But at the time I was doing it for him, but it was never recognized. 12 years went by and I would still be looked at or it would be brought up behaviors that happened 12 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the the recognition of my change or anything about me was never um was ever appreciated or noticed
2: okay yeah that really clears up a lot because there's definitely some common things to to look for especially with like that disregard for the way uh, you guys are feeling and then just like that sense of like I guess self-importance where have to know everything that's going on and, and be in control totally so those are good good red flags to look for so i want to transition because the whole point of this is to basically talk about how to break the cycles okay. and we can go on and on about the past and things like that but the important thing is where you guys are now where you guys mm-hmm. are heading right so out of these red flags that we talked about can you just share like how do we how do we break the cycles how do we um, how do we heal from the emotional abuse that's happened, the physical abuse that's happened? And like, what step, like what specific step can you guys, can at least one step from you and one step from to see it as someone could take action on today?
0: I would say as soon as you can, like, as, and I know we're all in a very financial, maybe some of you guys are in a financial struggle due to, this very special sickness going around the world. Um, I have been doing a lot of therapy, but I've also been doing a lot of meditation. So when I can't do therapy, I meditate. And some some people may find meditation as tiring or it's boring, but I do music meditation, where I control my breathing to the to the level of the beat of a song or to uh, measure to a few of them Um, and it allows more calming and that's my way of coping with my anger coming from the abuse and I do a lot of journaling so I would say journaling and meditation is my answer for coping and dealing with the trauma
2: that's, that's a great point, and I was listening to something, um, Dr. Daniel Amen, who studies brains, he talked a lot about how we, we have these automatic negative thoughts that keep, coming in our, that keep coming in our head, and we repeat the same thoughts. And we often remember the beginning and the end of the day, and sometimes the middle could be a challenge. So, mm-hmm. like implementing a journaling and a meditation practice, or even just reminding yourself of all the good that's happened at the beginning and the end of the day. Can be a really good good place to start too. So like implementing those things to see it talked about and doing it at the beginning or the end where it's short. Like how long do you meditate for, Tia? Um,
0: um, I can meditate up meditate up to two hours, but the my normal ranges are like about 15 to 20 minutes of meditating, and that's just me putting time aside for myself.
2: All right, so I guess a deeper healing you need to do if <laughs> I go for a longer <laughs> meditation. I do about five, 10 minutes every morning outside um, as the sun typically rising. So that's, you know, everyone has a little different habit of that, but implement that habit can do really good. All right, Lizina, share with us at least one thing that we can do now to break this cycles.
1: Um, As far as... Whew, uh, for me, it definitely... I, I'm a believer in therapy. Therapy is what, what you give is what you're going to get. I put my all into that, um, making sure that I connect with my inner self so that I can recognize these red flags in the future, um, pay more attention to my gut feeling and connection to my soul. Um, meditation now is a little bit different for me because I, um, I can't do the traditional sit uh, meditation that Tasir is referring to. I listened to this book called um, 44 Ways to... Oh my gosh, I can't even remember the name of the book. Um, but it's called... Don't, the book is called Don't Just Sit There. And it's me- Meditation by it Simkin. It's meditation practices throughout the day, throughout everything that you do. But uh, it really boils down to being mindful in every situation throughout the day not just in the morning or at night whether it's taking a phone call um being calm and accepting what that phone call might be not getting emotionally heightened in certain ways so um coping uh coping with a lot of the fallout of this um being mindful has helped has helped me um but it definitely goes back to me um educating myself about the red flags Mm. and learning what the red flags are and trusting that I'm in a better place now to make better decisions that could possibly prevent something like this from happening and letting everybody be uh, spreading awareness as much as I can. Yeah, Mm. Because I didn't know what I didn't know as well. And a lot of people don't as well and there's no mm. shame in that it's okay to not know um but when it when it affects our children there's more of a passion
2: yeah awesome thank you so that was that was a lot right that's basically yeah. turning on a fire hose when you're trying to get a cup of water to drink so it can be <laughs> a lot to definitely things. so a couple of things to kind of recap on that the three topics that we talked about today were grooming emotional incest and narcissistic behavior in a parallel relationship and some things to, to do to identify if these are happening some red flags are looking at boundaries boundaries being crossed um, keeping an eye on your children's behavior remember we, we talked in a previous episode that communication is key yeah. so don't let any kind of triangulation where it, like you want to keep the communication between you and your child And if you're noticing the communication being put off, which naturally as children get older and teenagers, that can happen, but you know, do what you can to make sure we keep that strong lines of communication, Um, paying close attention to your feelings and especially how your partner is making you feel Mm -hmm. because there should be no disregard for your feelings and there should be no no sense of entitlement or self sense of self-importance when the person, it should be a partnership 100%, 100% partnership, not 50, 50, 100%, 100%. And lastly, taking the mindset shift of like you don't have your child doesn't have to be your best friend. And there's no forcing them to be the best friend. That role can belong to somebody else that your child, not an adult. And it's okay like sometimes we think that hey my child is my friend we can talk about stuff we could talk about stuff in a sense that you're, you could be a confidant in your child so they can express what they're going through, what they're feeling right. but not also the other not also the opposite way to where we're putting our emotional our emotional needs on our on our children on our child so that's just a quick recap and some practices you can implement today if you are on your path for healing as the CEO recommended, um, implementing a journaling and meditation practice has been shown to do a lot of um, wonders. And as Lazina mentioned, um, 65 different things you could potentially
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: do as well. So the title of that book again was what, 44?
1: Um, just sit there. Um, the title of the book is called let me get, and we'll put that
2: book title in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's don't
1: just sit there. 44 Insight to Get Your Meditation Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World by Be It Simkin.
2: Yes, awesome. So, by Be It Simkin, those that book title is going to be in the show notes because I already forgot what it is, but it's <laughs> going to be helpful. And there's a bunch of other books and resources that will be coming up in future episodes. But today, we just really want to point out these red flags and also share the stories um, of what's happened, so you can also pinpoint and you can see that this is something that's being done over the long term. Mm -hmm. It can can last for years, and it's something very gradual. to, To and if you're noticing shifts is happening right now, it's and you know, I have to see what could someone have done to potentially, you know, put a helping hand out or potentially save. And although it could be challenging, it could still be just offer that offer that conversation, offer that one to one, um, just to be able to communicate and keep putting it out there. Don't make the don't make the relationship continue going distant and don't bring somebody else in the relationship, especially with you and your child, for you to be that person that can that can be that confident, that could be potentially that that saving hand. So I will turn it back over to Lazina.
1: Yeah. Um it it was um always been the way of life where as parents we want to protect our children we have to worry about you know strangers then we started worrying about um friends doing harm to them then we started worrying about family members and you never get to the and i'm sure it's been around for a long time it's just been brushed under the rug right where the parent is the one that's causing all this trauma and abuse. And to see a case, it was a step-parent. But there are a lot of parents out there who are biologically abusing their children. So if there's anybody that's going through that, uh, you can. there are things that you can do. You're not alone. Um, I know a lot of women, it's very difficult to open up about this because as a parent, the very fir- I keep saying as a parent, the very first thing that comes up is the blame and the shame. How did I let this happen? How did I not see it happening? To be fair, how do you see something being done by somebody who swears to protect your children? So um, <clears throat> it's definitely okay to feel those feelings, but it's also okay to know that you're not alone and there's a lot of us out there unfortunately but we can empower each other to make sure that we can we can spread as much awareness about this as we can to help somebody
2: awesome and before we finally close i want to remind everyone to subscribe and follow on social media and if someone's looking again in touch with you where could they reach you
1: they Tasia's um gonna take that one on because she <laughs> loves saying it.
0: <laughs> um our Instagram is breaking underscore the underscore cycles and our Twitter is breaking the psych cyc7 <laughs> and the
1: Facebook is breaking the cycles with Lazina and tasia but also our website is net so there's plenty of ways to get in touch with us.
0: And, and feel free to get in touch with us. We yep. look forward to talking with you guys.
2: Awesome. Thank you. We'll catch you in the next episode.
0: Hi, it's to you again. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you could please follow our Instagram at breaking underscore the underscore cycles. And our Twitter handle is breaking underscore the underscore psych. CY7. Also, please sub to our website at breakingthecycles.net. See you next week!